Hi, this is Joe with the Manufacturing Advocates Podcast, and today I'm interviewing a gentleman whose resume reads like a guy who must absolutely have no time for himself. His name is Al Stymack. He's the president of the Manufacturers Association of Florida. Al, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, as uh, Joe said, my name is Al Steinbeck. I'm um, a manufacturer primarily. I have a manufacturing facility in Longwood, Florida. I'm also president of the Manufacturing Association of Florida uh, with a primary uh, uh, mission, so advocating for manufacturers and uh, workforce development. I'm also appointed by Senate uh, President to the Higher Education Coordinating Council because of the uh, importance of industry certifications. Uh, especially uh, with today's uh, challenges in finding qualified workforce. Uh, also, on behalf of uh, with National Association of Manufacturers, I promote manufacturing. Uh, made in USA is a great brand and um, uh, try to promote the uh, Made in America products. That's great. And I understand you're also, uh, in addition to those ed- uh, efforts, you also get involved in education and training specifically for uh, the machining industry, I believe. It, could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so we've uh, taken uh, uh, what the, uh, based on the German apprenticeship model, uh, I've taken and uh, spent a couple of years taking what's the best of what they have, what we have in the United States, and put together a training program for machinists, uh, specifically for uh, American workers. Uh, we use, uh, we have a true machining simulation um, we have a company called Machining Training Solutions, and we're training high-end manufacturing uh, jobs because today we find that most of the machinists are, are, are really technology advanced. So all of our training programs that we have are, are, are pretty uh, high-tech. Very good. And how active is the Manufacturers Association of Florida? Do you guys hold events and, and things like that? What what type of a what does a typical year look like for for your group? Well, first of all, uh, what a year looks like, we um, are basically advocates. So we last year we were able to eliminate sales tax on capital equipment. That is to promote uh, to get the manufacturers to invest in capital equipment. We also work on uh, uh, developing research and development. Uh, this current year, we are uh, fighting uh, manufacturers, especially in Florida, uh, the workman's comp. Uh, is facing some challenges and increases, uh, and we also try to uh, um, uh, any burdensome regulations that might be burdensome to the manufacturers. So we meet with all the manufacturers once a year, and we develop what we call a legislative agenda. And based on legislative agenda, we actually uh, go to the uh, capital and, and promote and try to get some bill passed. Our most significant ones has been the elimination of sales tax of capital equipment. We were able to get some training funds for incumbent workforce. How do we get our current employees uh, up to higher skill level and also some new hires? And, uh, and the other issue is workforce development. Uh, we promote a program called Dream and Do It. Uh, how do we change perception of manufacturers? Manufacturers are no longer, uh, our shops are not dirty and filthy, they're clean, high-tech job. And in order to create a future pipeline, we need to change the perception in um, high schools. So we develop a program called Dream and Do It. It's a national program. Uh, we have a license from a Manufacturing Institute. And basically, we go to our high school, we have a manufacturing month where we open up plants to the high school kids all around Florida to see what manufacturing is all about. That's great. Have you guys 
seen um, an uptick in entries into educational programs related as a result of that? Um, kind of how do you guys sort of benchmark the success of that? I know it's kind of hard sometimes, but is there a light at the end of the tunnel on that issue for you guys in Florida? Uh, yeah, so a couple of things we've done that's been very successful. So we give uh, all the kids a survey about what to think about manufacturing before they go into manufacturing facilities, and then we survey them afterwards. And uh, if you see the difference in the survey, it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, from thinking they're walking into oily, greasy smokestack, when I see the advancement of technology, it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, it, it, even in my own case, uh, we had a, a, one of the plant tours uh, here in our facility, and we had a young lady at 15 years old. She applied after she visited our shop. And long story short, we hired as an intern, and she was an intern with us, and uh, she's still an intern even though she goes to the university. Wow, that's great. What about the what about the parents of these kids? Uh, I, the bigger public is a another major challenge for advanced manufacturing and manufacturing in general to sort of make them realize that there is a you know. These are these are not the kind of jobs that maybe they were 50 years ago, but the public, you know, perception of that seems to be what was 50 years ago. Is there a component for them also? Uh, well, very good question. It absolutely is. And this young lady, um, when she first applied, she had to convince the parents, mostly her mother, that she was doing the right thing because she same thing she thought they had to see the shop. After seeing all the CNC machines and, and how clean and organized it is, that's what she approved to her working here. So wow. uh, in high schools, we also get involved. We started a new high school training program in uh, um, Pine Ridge High School. And there we found if you get the um, um, principal, you get the parents, the teacher association at the table, um, and, and, and the counselor are, are extremely, extremely important with the kids to help with decisions. They really, really mm -hmm. makes a difference. Okay, that's great. Now, do you guys, do they have job fairs and things like that? At, um, or is it mostly just manufacturing month kind of thing where you do the engagement or are there other opportunities throughout the uh, year? We are manufacturing uh, job fairs uh, three times a year. Uh, we also have competitions uh, on STEM programs. Uh, this year we had a, a competition with high schools where um, the high school, had, the kids had to build a, a vehicle, something that traveled a minimum of 500 centimeters, uh, had to be made out of all recyclable materials. They couldn't purchase any kits. And most important was if they did not find a mentor in a manufacturer, they were disqualified. So every high school had to have a, a manufacturing mentor, and that was extremely, extremely successful. It was amazing things that these kids did. Uh, for example, and then uh, uh, after they built this vehicle, then they had to sell it to manufacturer. Would you invest in the future of that product? And one uh -huh. of the schools that won, um, they developed a solar-powered um, lawnmower that's remote controlled. And obviously that one, everybody invested in that product. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. So what kind of rec recycled parts did they use to build oh, that? Oh man, they went through the shops, scraps, bins of aluminum and trash bins and digging <laughs> stuff from everywhere. Yeah, so oh, wow. it was pretty neat. That is super cool. Is Are, are these stories online anywhere where people can, you know, that 
um, that story about your intern is is a great story. Is there is there a place people can go to see that kind of stuff? Uh, there is. We put some together as a uh, manufacturing association Florida website, and I dream it do it. We call okay. it DD five hundred. And also on our website, there's a, a story about Andrea, uh, who is an intern. Um, and by interning at um, in our shop, she was able to graduate from high school. Um, uh, uh, she's got an AA degree two weeks before she got her uh, high school diploma. Wow. That is phenomenal. Very cool. Yeah, I just did a quick search. To There's a whole bunch of links in there, but we'll be sure to include in the episode notes. Uh, we'll, we'll include links to some of this content, specifically that story, because I think people will really enjoy hearing that and reading more about that. So um, so what do you down the road? So what is your long term plans there at the I know you have a lot of it sounds like it's emerging. OK, we have this legislation. We need to uh, educate the lawmakers that, about the impact of that, that type of thing. Um, do you guys have any like, you know, long-term, really large goals that you'd like to accomplish as a group? As manufacturer, yes, absolutely. Uh, um, first of all, uh, uh, we want to make a, a grow the manufacturing in Florida, right? So Florida has got a, a pride itself as having all these ports uh, and a lot of uh, concentration on the infrastructure of ports. But uh, unless we get our manufacturing sector healthy, the ships are still going to leave our ports empty. And so goal is to grow the manufacturing sector from 6% in Florida now to get it to a minimum of 12 to 14%. And we're able to convince the governor uh, to make the um, uh, manufacturing a number one industry to be able to attract them. Uh, as you know, Florida, we depend on our tourists and we love our tourists and they keep our taxes low. But in order to <laughs> diversify the economy, uh, we have to uh, uh, attract more manufacturing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, you can't you can't be a one uh, one pony show. It's it's takes much more than that. And I think um, maybe you applied to that in business. What what made you um, what made you branch out so far? It's you know, obviously, I think there's probably a, a whole conversation we could have about um, different pathways and different things, um, having multiple businesses and stuff like that. I'm very fascinated by how someone can do that but uh what what sort of uh compelled you to to branch out Were you, did you do you get bored if you have a limited things to do is it do you need all these kinds of activity i'm sure period people are curious when they see all the stuff you do well i, I used to be director of manufacturing with siemens um and had a bunch of employees and then i seen uh especially in uh, um in, in florida they used to purchase a lot of manufacturing goods from out of the country, out of state, because Florida was never known a manufacturing uh, state. So when I started my business, Metal Lessons to begin with, I started it with capturing a percentage of the business that was leaving the state or the country. And uh, that's how we grew it from a garage to 100 plus employees. Uh, and when we did that, we developed a training program that we were able to grow from a garage shop to 100 employees in, in a little over a year and a half. Uh, so we say, you know, this training program was so successful. We were TS-169, 45 We were shipping to Spain, Brazil, uh, Czech Republic, all over the world. There's a small shop that started in a garage. So we say, you know, why don't we take this training program and really put it out there and start a business with it? 
and that's how we that's how we started a business. That's how we developed a curriculum. Uh, our curriculum is unlike any other ones, um, and we also have industry certifications. And through our industry certification, they can also the the students, our students, can articulate them into college credits. Oh, okay, yeah, that's how that uh, young woman was able to uh, make that uh, achieve that so early, yes. huh? Yeah, that's pretty neat. So I I noticed it looks like your shop you started quite some time ago, and you so you were kind of one of the original uh, reshoring guys, you know, bring, you know, keep it, keep it here. Um, and, and that was during a time when actually it was less of an issue. And so when did you start to notice in that, in your career there, when did you start to notice the outside pressures more and more? I'm sure you had established yourself. So you probably didn't feel it as much as some of the fledgling, uh, parts of the industry. But uh, when did you st see the tide starting to turn and, and uh, it's starting to negatively affect Florida? Uh, in the mid-90s, uh, we've seen a big difference. We've seen a lot of companies making decisions to uh, uh, outsource uh, most of their machine parts overseas uh, because of the cost, of not, not knowing the true cost of, of a product coming into the country. Uh, so we saw a big impact. And then when the automotive industry downturn happened, uh, we changed our strategy to go after uh, who is a nickel cheaper, uh, really low cost parts. Uh, we decided to go to high end, high tolerance. You know, now we work down to a tense. We make parts that uh, most other people don't want to touch. So that's what we changed the whole business outline. And, and I was kind of lucky that so of automotive industry, they were about 80% of my business. Wow. So, so you basically just focused on making better parts. Better parts, higher tolerance parts, uh, mostly parts that were a lot higher to uh, uh, outsource. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. And so you applied all of the uh, uh, things that you had uh, taken from all your training and development of your processes to accomplish that goal. Did Did that push the envelope for you? Was there new things that you were able to integrate into your training as a result of that shift? Um, that, uh, uh, we were able to introduce quite a few new things in our training and most all of it we were able to, uh, we really made a difference. Uh, we decided to compete uh, on a global scale. Uh, we finally figured out that the world is small, so we're not gonna, China, mm -hmm. Germany, everybody's gonna be uh, our competitors, not just somebody next door. So we developed some new methods of uh, um, not only training our employees, but factories. So, so I could build a prototype and get it to Spain, Czech Republic, or Germany before they can get it from next door or whatever they were in that, in that country. Uh, so, wow. so that's uh, that's what made a huge difference. That's great. So a little bit of extra innovation and and performance to set you apart. I, I like looking at it from that point of view, <clears throat> and I think, I think it's healthy for any business to start to think that way, um, you know, as early as they can in the process, because you never know when the next uh, region of the world is going to rise, and you know, become another competitor. So I think we all have to be looking at that with you know, uh, vision and and nothing against them. I mean. You know, economic prosperity around the globe is ultimately good for everybody, 
but we want to we want to keep it as fair as possible and we don't want to hamstring our businesses either and i think we've managed to do that quite a few uh in quite a few ways over the years so after the mid 90s how did that <clears throat> so you obviously were you came up with a solution for your business um <clears throat> in general as an observer and someone who is very active in the industry did you uh what what did you see next after the mid 90s what was the next shift or the next um, area where there was even more challenges or concerns? Well, the big one was uncertainty. You know, that's at a time that we really didn't know, you know, making a decision, what, what are investing? What's my next uh, technology, next product? Which direction? What's our taxes going to be? You know, what's our workman's comp going to be? What's, you know, where are I getting my next employees? You know, once we were able to figure it out, what direction to go, uh, I like to say that we've been in business since 1986. We probably reinvented ourselves at least five times since that. Wow. So um, probably close in, in, in the 2000s, uh, 20, 2005, 2010, uh, we've seen a big need uh, for really uh, uh, be able to do a niche with high tolerance part. Really, most jobs, the most shops wouldn't quote. And so we found our ways of be able to manufacture them competitively, and uh, that's kind of what we're doing now. So another one of those businesses that's kind of working on the impossible, sort of ba balancing on the razor, while no one yeah. else wants to do that. <laughs> yes, and that those years where we actually started a, I don't know if familiar, a, a consulting company called Machining Solutions. And most of consulting was to uh, um, for the United States government for the arsenals, uh, developing new technologies, new processes. Okay, and how has that worked out? Is that what um, what percentage of your uh, revenue or business would you consider that um, that portion? Now? Uh, it's, it's it's pretty high. Uh, we probably do consulting for got at least a, a half a dozen company, mostly high-end equipment selection, software processes. We also do a lot of what we call turnkeys for other shops where we develop the process for a article, tooling, fixture, and then we, then we turn it over and, and have it run in their own shop. Wow, so you, you guys get involved um, sort of where in the space where the machine tool uh, companies Rain, is that? Uh, are you also involved in the machine tool procurement, or do you just make recommendations? I make recommendations for the customers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So, so you're sort of uh, where those applications and engineers typically play. Uh, you guys provide that type of service. That's pretty neat. So, wow, you you really um, cover quite a broad scope of of things. So it sounds like you really taken your expertise and really applied it in such a way to help uh, many, many, many other uh, people who are looking to get involved in the industry, who are who are in the industry. What are, you know, fast forward to 2017, where things are where they are, um, you know, the, the skills gap obviously is something that's sort of looming on the horizon. So I know you're very concerned about that and involved with that. Um, are there other things that are a concern today? Where should we be looking as an industry uh, forward from this point? Uh, well, a couple of things I can uh, um, 
and actually we just it's from national association of manufacturers we just uh, we do a quarterly survey and we just finished a survey end of february and um just to find out what the industry sees where the scale labor continues to be number one issue including our own shop everybody's is concerned the outlook on positiveness of manufacturing um on the latest survey is up considerably from uh, last year uh, but still, still attracting reliable workforce is, is absolutely on the top of the list uh, of every manufacturer that we recently surveyed. Uh, we see uh, um, international trade. I think uh, there's a big um, uh, opportunities for everybody to exports. A lot of small manufacturers tend uh, um, the gun shy about exporting. But believe it or not, the other world loves our products. Uh, there's a market out there. And as you said earlier, if we can compete on a level playing field, we can compete with anybody. Um, but I think exporting is, 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 is very big. You know, 90% of the consumers live outside our, our borders. So as, as businesses, we need to figure out how do we get access to them. Wow, that's a really great yeah. point. And it's, it's one I've, I've heard some positive things about that in terms of even in California, for example, I know that we have there's uh, tax advantages to exporters. So you can actually there's there's direct tax benefits. They may be federal. Are you familiar with any federal uh, tax <coughs> advantages for exporting? Well, uh, not so much a tax advantage, but there's a lot of. Um... Uh, with your own state, like for example, in our state, uh, we have Enterprise Florida, and in our case, we have a gentleman, Manny Mancia, but they're, they'll go out there, set up, if you want to export, they'll set up uh, appointments for you in any country. Uh, the cost is almost nothing, uh, very minimal, and they'll help you get the business. So uh, I, I encourage manufacturers that don't do that. Uh, get involved with your own economic development in your own state. And, and um, you know, Brazil is opening up. I wouldn't be doing business in Argentina now, but Colombia, we do business. Uh, Canada, China, every, everywhere there's a lot of opportunities. And your own economic development, it will set up uh, appointments. In my case, if you have a governor, uh, I'll set you up an appointment with uh, your potential customer. Uh, when I started, wow. I started doing business with Brazil, I was doing like, you know, two million a year uh, just by uh, taking the time and taking a trip to Brazil. Wow. Okay. Well, that's really good. So um, those are typically the at the state level economic development and or organizations. So I, I think um, people can probably readily find out who those folks are just through the big um you know, the big manufacturing oriented groups in those states. Uh, but that's that's one I'm going to have to keep an eye on, Al. I, I think that's uh, I think you, you're you're on to something there. And I think um, encouraging exports is is a very positive idea as well. And in all the years I've done exports, we never lost money. Always a lot of small shops are concerned how they get paid. Uh, uh, if you learn how to do commercial invoices, um, never, never lost a dime. So, you know, I I did hear recently I was at an event and a company was complaining that they had shipped an order. I won't say where um, and they never got paid for it. But do you think that has to do with how maybe how they arrange the uh, the process? Is it? because there's a way to do it 
to eliminate or reduce absolutely that risk? The, the way i do it for whatever it's okay. worth of find somebody inside the country uh the the very inexpensively and they look at my commercial invoice make sure every t is crossed every dot is dotted and if you do that you'll never have a problem so they they sort of act as an intermediary or they actually analyze and tell you if everything looks they good act as an intermediary and they analyze all my stuff before i send it out and and it, most of the time is the paperwork is not done correct especially commercial invoice and countries like brazil okay. are very difficult but if you do your paperwork right you'll never have a problem okay okay wow those are some huge takeaways and i do I do know some people who will really appreciate that information. So thank you for sharing your insights on that. <laughs> uh, I, I know there there is a it is global. There are there are global opportunities out there. So it's good good for it's yeah, a good heads up is. for people to consider. So one of my favorite questions to ask people, and I sometimes I forget. <laughs> so I want to ask you now uh, before we get uh, to down to the end of our conversation. But what what would you like your legacy to be? What what do you want people to remember you for, and uh, that type? That of I made thing. a difference in U.S. manufacturing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a short yeah. and sweet yeah. and simple. I, I like it. I'm not I'm not not at all surprised by it actually. So that's cool. Um, and then also, so you have so you have the several businesses, and you're involved with. Uh, National Association of Manufacturers. Tell me more about um, the National Association of Manufacturers. That's a, a name that's come up previously in other interviews that I've done. What, what is the predominant role of, of NAM, and and what do they do? What do they do for manufacturing in well, the U.S.? Well, uh, NAM is the largest advocacy group um, in in the, in the U.S., especially specifically focusing on manufacturing. Uh, one of the things that they've done a lot about leveling the playing field. And not only that, are really uh, making uh, not not only current but past and all the administrations uh, on importance of manufacturing uh, and the place and emphasis that helped us through regulation surveys. Uh, anytime that we have some burdensome uh, regulations, NAM has been there um, in most cases uh, defeating them uh, on behalf of manufacturers. Uh, they've uh, worked hard to open the markets for small manufacturers so we can do more exporting. Uh, and the surveys that they take around the manufacturers, they really help us uh, focus uh, what's the next direction. And the big thing, they're also working towards the education and industry certification, uh, focusing on on uh, future workforce and, and the talent. So it sounds like they're sort of plugged into all the right areas where manufacturers run into their biggest problems, the regu regulation, uncertainty, lack of wor uh, skilled workforce. So I, I'd say if they're focusing on those things, then we're really lucky to have them. So now, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, is that, so is is that, um, when did your, when did you start working with uh, with them actually? Guy was late nineties. Yeah. Okay, so right around the time that things were starting to get, there was a little bit of pressure, and yes, the automotive industry had. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so it was that sort of when when you really start. What about your your Florida manufacturers association? When did you get involved uh, with them? Florida manufacturers associations are twelve years old now. 
Yeah. Okay. And, um, uh, it's run by a board, and I said we are solely focusing on two issues: advocating for, for manufacturers and, and workforce development. Uh, and specifically, in workforce development, has been uh, considerably. And then we, uh, um, I don't know, the it's a good word or bad word, but we lobby strictly on manufacturers' behalf. You know, just trying to improve the uh, uh, business climate for Florida manufacturers. Yeah, so I I don't um, I think that's a good thing uh, because when you advocate for manufacturers, you're really advocating for economic development in your community. Also, uh, manu manufacturing jobs outpace uh, most other jobs in terms of their output to the community they're located in. So I would I would argue you're really advocating for everyone. In your state and and in your country, yeah, when we first so. started this uh, uh, Florida manufacturing, Florida was going to eliminate manufacturers as a targeted industry, and that would have been a huge impact. They were able to reverse that trend and now made it a top priority of the state. And our governor is not a lot; uh, he's made the manufacturers number one priority. Oh, that's great. Uh, I'm glad that you guys were able to stem the tide, and I can't help but think that you played a pretty important role in all that so i i tip my hat to you for taking taking the passion for manufacturing and understanding the benefit and really working for it so if you could wave your magic wand today to to fix maybe two or three nuisance problems i think i, I have a good feeling for what they might be but um, maybe things that are really really difficult um, uh, to influence but what what issues would you solve, and and how would you solve them? Uh, that's a that's a that's a big question. <laughs> and, and, or you could okay, choose yeah. one if you want. Yeah. I don't want to overwhelm well, you. <laughs> it might be hard to choose uh, one. Obviously, though, level level in the playing field, regulatory issues, and all those uh, taxation burdens are, are are to me are known. But I would like to solve the workforce issue because. Um, and the reason is that I still think that today's uh, um, we are teaching kids for jobs that don't yet exist. You know, so how do we, you know, how do we make that better? How do I believe in manufacturing schools and, and colleges today? We are probably ten years behind where we should be. Uh, manufacturing is evolving. Uh, it's, it's the most important link to increasing economic prosperity, but it's not the same old manufacturing job like, like it used to be. It's, it's, it's advanced, it's technology-driven, and we're going significant changes. You know, Today, when you go around, a lot of uh, schools have never heard of Industry 4.0, smart manufacturing. So how do we, how we make that change and how we teach for the right things that we'll be needing tomorrow? So, Okay, so that, that would be your... Uh, the part that you would like to solve most that's the most most critical uh, yeah one. we can buy machines we get tools we can have everything but without the people we really don't have nothing so that's a, that's a, that's the a big right. thing we're gonna fix so you mentioned a couple industry uh, related terms what what do that what does that mean what is industry 4.0 what is so uh, so we advanced so so we, we're currently uh, uh, going through a fourth industrial revolution in, in manufacturing um, it's, it's technology-driven. Europe is called Industry 4.0. Uh, United States vision for advanced manufacturing is called Smart Manufacturing. China has their own called China 2025. Uh, and it's basically the technology. We're dealing with big data, predictive analytics, um, IOET, you know, in, in, in and out of things, uh, integration, 
uh, deep learning. So RFID, there's a lot of technologies that impact. I got a small shop here. I walk in our shop here. My laptop is automatically connected to all my CNC machines. So that's, you know, my bar feeders are communicating with the CNC machines that it's, it's everything is about big data today. So it's, it's a huge change. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we obviously to prepare for that, we don't, uh, you know, we have to get the work, we have to get the workforce to manage. Exactly. All. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And right, and right now, right now we have a long way to go. You say 10 years behind? That, exactly. At least, yeah. That's, that's yeah. what we, in the la latest couple of surveys, when I looked at the curriculums for what they're using in school versus what we actually do on a shop floor. Um, so... Uh, I'm a big believer in mean, the changes will start when industry and education accept a new way of doing things. Yeah. You know what's really interesting, Al, is um, one of the things that I've, when I started the Manufacturing Advocates podcast, my goal was to interview the difference makers in the mm -hmm. U.S. manufacturing industry. And so often it amazes me how it's one passionate individual that leaves this footprint that's larger than life and really makes such a difference. So I think if anyone, uh, anyone listening doesn't think that they can have an impact, they absolutely can have an impact. And it's, and it is individuals and then groups of those individuals or people. There's a lot of people that don't want to lead the charge like you. Um, but, but there's people that would love to support someone like you so i think we need more difference makers yeah. we need more people that are willing to make a grassroots effort to make a difference and you know what would you say to someone uh that thinks that maybe they're passionate about the industry but they haven't quite recognized that they can do it what would you what would you say to them to encourage someone that you think is very capable of making a difference and getting involved. Oh man, you, you really said it well um, at the beginning with get involved. I mean, when I first started going to um, Tallahassee, I didn't know nothing, I was just a young kid uh, and everybody's telling me, well, they're not gonna listen to you. If you only knew how many changes we were able to make. When I first started Manufacturing Association of Florida, uh, I was the only one at the table for a while. Then somebody else showed up, then somebody else. So if you have an issue that will affect your business, get involved, get involved with your local community, local manufacturing association. Um, go to go to um, talk to your uh, congressmen, your senators. It's unbelievable how they will listen and they will make changes. So as an individual, uh, you said it really right. Uh, you can make a difference and you will make a difference. So. So don't sit idle on the couch thinking that you can't, because you, you gotta you gotta own it. You gotta you gotta get involved and do something. And I, I I realize it's hard for some people sometimes to see to have the vision and the willingness to sit uh, by themselves at times uh, and and work to make a work to make a difference. But I I have no I have no doubt after interviewing you and and many of the other people that I've interviewed for this podcast that. It's, it's amazing how powerful an individual can be and how powerful, how much support is really out there if they make themselves, 
if they make it known to the world that they're willing to do that and make that effort, it's amazing how many people will fall in behind. How many members do you have in your uh, Florida Manufacturing Association? Uh, so we have a Florida Manufacturing Association made up mostly of uh, our regional manufacturing associations and uh, our board. Okay. So there's a regional associations. They're got a between 200 and 50, 300 members all around the state, multiple ones, and they all uh, follow and belong to the uh, state manufacturing association. So, so quite a bit more than just an individual guy just sitting there at the. Oh Capitol. yeah, no, no, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah, and uh, um, uh, believe it or not, we get down on our legislature, but you know what? They will listen if you get involved, and and uh, a lot of times we'll take manufacturers go testify, and and they will make a change. So that's good. Get yeah, it, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, that there are people out there that will listen mm -hmm. and. There's organizations that will also help with that advocacy, and they're in every state. Every state has them um, now, yeah. I think. I mean, maybe not, but uh, I'd like to think that there's there's organizations. I know there's one, at least one here in California that, that I've interviewed. So, Yes, there is. Every state does have a manufacturing association. Some of them are fall under uh, chambers, but it's still there's manufacturing association almost every Florida. And if, and if you Great. believe of making things in America, uh, you know, uh, it's not like everybody else thinks that uh, manufacturing is dead. Not only is not dead, it's thriving, and I think it's got a, a huge comeback. Great. Well, Al, is, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you would hope that I would have asked you about today? Because I know we're coming up on the end of our allotted time. I just wanted to give you the opportunity or if you have any questions for me. No, you, you, you covered it well. Um, you know, the, the focus, uh, again, my, I, keep, I stand to think, go back on our workforce. Not only that, but now we're working towards engineering. Um, how do we get the next generation university? Uh, um, recently, I made a couple of trips and, and, and a lot of engineers think also think that manufacturing is dead. So the, the, we got to focus how to improve the, that uh, quality of our engineers. So. So there's a, a need for a lot of public information and a lot of conversation about this still. So. There is, yeah. Well, thank you for driving that conversation so often and in so many places, because I'm sure the footprint, the uh, people that you've impacted and the way you've impacted the state, and I think you may have already accomplished your legacy, but I'd I want to. I, I love. I want to continue to see more and more of, of your success, because when you succeed, we all succeed. So, uh, thank thank you for uh, being a, a guest for episode ten of the Manufacturing Advocates podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate, it. and uh, we'll stay in touch. Sounds good, Al. And where's the best place people can, if they have a question for you, where's the best place they could go? To uh, Lstimek at gmail.com. Great. Well, thank you very much, Al, and thank you everyone for listening, and I hope you all have a great day.